0: Welcome to Income for Baby Boomers. If you want to learn about exciting new businesses each week from other boomers who speak your language and have started a unique and profitable business from home, you have come to the right place. For those who would like to try some of these low investment opportunities, stay tuned. We'll help you get started in your own profitable adventure. Now with your host and entrepreneur, Ken Queen. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce Colby Jubinville, writer of Zebras and Cheetahs look different, and stay agile to survive the business jungle. Boy, is that ever true.
1: (laughs) Well, hey, thank you for reaching out to me, and and thank you for what you do. I think all of us are at different stages of life, and any time that we can find some perspective that may help us take that next step or fight through that complexity that we currently have, I think that's valuable for anybody. So thanks for the opportunity to talk to your tribe today.
0: No problem. And, uh, boy, the world is getting complex.
1: (laughs) There's, There's no doubt about that. Yeah,
0: there's so many avenues going on. Could we just go back, uh, way back, your first experience with entrepreneurship? Was that like when you were six with your lemonade stand or something? Or?
1: <laughs> you know, Jim Rohn, he says it best when he was a kid. He had two bikes, one to ride and one to rent. And uh, and I'll never forget you know, hearing that. But, but, yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, you say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I have, if I look back on my life, I have been an entrepreneur my whole life. And it's probably not because I wanted to be, it's because I had parents that were very intentional about what kind of future that they wanted me to create for myself. So I tell my parents all the time, there was a lot of collateral damage along the way, but, but you really taught me this idea of self-reliance more than anything else, and, and I'll never be able to pay them back for that or thank them enough for that. But my dad told me, fifth grade or sixth grade, he said, son, you got one or two choices. He said, you can either work for me for free uh, every day of summer, or you can go find a job. Now, I don't care what you do, but the first day of summer, that's what you're going to do. Well, you know what you're like when you're 15, 13, 14? And so I was like, yeah, well, that's not going to happen. Well, the very first day of summer, there was a knock on my door at 6 a.m., and my dad was meticulous. I mean meticulous. He he loved to write on note cards, and so he had them organized inside, Mm -hmm. outside, landscaping, painting. And he had lists of things to do, and he said, now, I've got all these taped to your door. Cross them out when you get done, and let me know when you're done, and we'll move on to the next <laughs> set of tasks. So I got on my bike that day because I wasn't going to work for free, and I mm-hmm. took up and down Tuthill Lane, and I knocked on every door, and I asked them if I could cut their grass. And you see, my first hard skill in life, Ken, was cutting grass. And so I went back, and that first day I had five yards to cut. My dad said, fantastic, I'll help you get started. I'll take you where you want to go. You can pay me back once you get all the tools and materials in place. And so I realized very quickly that I did not want to cut grass the rest of my life. And so I went out and I found two other people to work with me, and and that became my second hard skill was recruiting other people. And so then I started knocking on the doors and and quite frankly i'm forty three and I've been knocking on those doors ever since and it's because I had parents that taught me the value of self reliance and so that that's really where my entrepreneurial journey starts and I, and I want to say this to kind of set the stage for your listeners because I think it it will help them frame frame up what we're talking about today. Here's what I figured out about life and i'm and again i'm forty three in our twenties we're taught to get in the game in our thirties we're taught to move up in the game. In our 40s, those 30-year-olds are so damn good that we try to stay in the game and stay relevant. (laughs) Stay in the game. And in our 50s, here's what we say, what the hell do I really want? And so what I think your podcast does more than anything is get people to stop at that stage of life as you indicated, that's where most of your listeners are. Maybe they, they've retired. Maybe they're looking to make generate more income. Maybe they've got an idea and they're retired and they want to try to explore that idea. But it's truly in our 50s, the science says with, that we continue to ask ourselves, what do we really want? And so what I've asked myself, and, and it's because, again, my parents were very intentional about my life. What I've asked myself my entire career is, what is it that I really want? And what I really wanted to do ever since I was a child was to coach and teach people on an ever-increasing stage. And so my conversation with you today is is really a reflection of some of those stories, some of those ideas. We're, we're around a campfire and, and discussing these things so that maybe they trigger something in, in, in an audience member's mind where they go, you know, maybe I can do that. Maybe that is possible. And so that, that's kind of, I just want to set the stage and throw that out to you to say that's where I kind of think we are today.
0: And I think some of the listeners might be throwing out, like you were, like your dad did, and right now necessity needs to be the mother of invention for them. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. I, I wake up every day. They need to produce. Yeah, yeah. There is definitely a difference between effort and production. We we find that out as we continue to get older and, and go through life. But but it's definitely I think if we can get people to under to ask that question, what is it that I really want? Because I do believe this. I do believe that we were all put on this earth to do something different, something unique, something interesting. And that may be, hey, it may be living a normal life. But here's what happens is everybody goes through what I call the big lie. And the big lie is if you go to college, if you go through some kind of school, you're going to get a job and everything's going to be OK. And the reality is, and you know it and I know it, that's not the truth. I mean, Hitler said it the best. He said, if you say something loud enough and if you say it long enough and you say it with enough conviction, well, people are going to believe it. And thank God we had who we had back in the day to make sure that that did not happen. But it's true. We all participate in that in some form or fashion in the big lie. And so part of what when I go out and talk to people around the country, one of the things that I ask them is, what part did you play in participating in the big lie? Because it happens to all of us. I still remember when I graduated from college. I went across the street. I went to a great little school down in Mississippi that fundamentally changed my life. It took an idiot like myself and made me fall in love with learning and becoming a student of the process. And I went across the street after I graduated. Everything that I owned was back in a, a Suzu Trooper 2. It was in 1986 a Suzu Trooper 2. I watched it every weekend because that was going to be my car that my dad drove when I was a kid. And I finally got it, had everything that I owned the back of it. went and called my dad collect from a payphone over to Amoco Station across the street. And I said, hey, Dad, this is what I think every college student does, at least the ones I know. Hey, Dad, um, I've got this college degree. What am I supposed to do now? And um, my dad says, hold on, let me get your mother on the phone because what I'm going to say is going to be very powerful for you. And I want you to hear it from both of us. And so I said, "Okay." So she gets on the phone and he says, now, before I answer this, pull out that diploma from Millsaps and read it to me. So I read him the whole you know, Millsaps College history. I read him all the names, B.A., Colby, Jevenville. And he said, man, that sounds so good then we know you're going to be so successful. And quite frankly, we don't care what you do. Just don't come home. (laughs) I hung up the phone. And I literally had a half a tank of gas, three dimes sitting in the, the tray there next to the seat, and a Coke from the night before. And I cruised in on fumes to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and walked through the double doors where I'd ultimately get my Ph.D., And I begged this woman for an opportunity. I said, this is what I'm supposed to to do with my life. And so one of the key takeaways for those people that are sitting there that are listening today is the only way that you can truly articulate your value to anyone is through face-to-face interaction. And thankfully, they had a scholarship for me. They had sent it to the wrong P.O. box. Wow. I was able to sign it that day, but back in those days, nobody responded to you by phone, and we did, certainly didn't have email, and it's not that long ago. If you think about it, it's only 1994, but I went back across the street to another gas station called my dad collecting, and, and I said, hey, Dad, he said, what's that? I said, I got good news. He said, yeah, I said, I got a full scholarship to Southern Miss. I said, <laughs> you see, son, I know you figured it out. Well, here's the interesting piece, and I think this will probably resonate with your audience. You have children that may be in their 20s or their 30s. Ken, I was so upset with my parents. I was so hurt that I didn't go back home. And I lived out of my car for about three weeks. And I would go get cleaned up in gas stations because I was so hurt that Mm -hmm. I felt like they abandoned me in the time that I needed them the most. But now as I'm 43 and I look back on my life, it's because they were willing to say, we have the confidence in you. Now you go and do it that allowed me to find the success that I ultimately found. And by the way, there's a great positive to that story. And An ending note, I got to move into Jimmy Buffett's room at the Kappa Sig House at Southern Mississippi. So that was the only place that I could move into that would allow me to pay my bills once the semester started. So there is good news at the at the end of the story there. At the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yep. Still listen to Buffett today I'm from Mobile, Alabama, where Jimmy Buffett's from. So uh, one of these days I'm going to retire and just go follow him all around the country, hopefully. <laughs>
0: And if your dad didn't do that, you may never have gone there and found that scholarship. Oh,
1: hey, I can tell you exactly what would happen if my dad didn't do that. I know what would have happened. And there's, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with this. But it's all about philosophy. And philosophy is uniquely tied to every other aspect of your life, whether we want to meet that, admit that or not, especially income. And so what would have happened is I would have gone back to Mobile. I would have coached high school football. And I would have been Karen and Wayne's son that went to Millsaps and came back and got a job because of Karen and Wayne. And I can't tell them how many times that I thank them for them seeing the good in me when you, you can't see it in yourself. And so when I tell people all the time that the people that had the greatest impact on me, it's it's two groups. It's my parents and coaches, and, and it's because of those coaches that saw the worth and potential in me when when I couldn't even see it myself. And I think... You know, maybe there's there's somebody that's listening today that, that needs that, that needs somebody to see the worth and potential in them. And and I'll be happy to go down that road to you with you a little bit and talk about that if you think that would fit for your for your listeners to discuss how do you pull out that worth and potential when you are at that at that stage of life, if that's something that you think would be valuable to your listeners.
0: No, I think what you're saying is fantastic. Keep going.
1: (laughs) Well, the biggest challenge that we have today in in my background is in working with millennials. It's it's in working with that generation after me. And so I read a great article called Scenes from the Culture Clash. And, you know, I'm a Gen, Gen X kid. And uh I grew up in, in an opportunist environment where and here's what I meant by that, where if you wanna when your belly button meets your backbone and you're that hungry then then anything that's put on the table, you're gonna grab it and make it your own. And so we don't live in those times anymore. They're a totally different time that that we live in today and I think everybody understands that. I mean you can go by an LCD television that's 60 inches for $400. I love TVs. I've always been fascinated with electronics, probably because, and I know, you know, your, your listeners are saying, my gosh, what was this guy's dad like? We had a Panasonic television that my dad kept for probably, you know, 18 years. It turned green and we still watched it. And, and
0: I, so it went from black and white
1: to green. It went- <laughs>
0: No, I think it was. Color. I think it
1: was, oh, wow. but it did turn green. About that, you know, I said, "Hey, I'm gonna get a new TV." He goes, "Well, can't you? You can still see the picture, can't you?" But you know, I remember when he bought that Panasonic, you know, 27 inch, beautiful colored television. I can't even remember what it cost, and so it's a. But I knew it was a lot, and it was a big deal. I mean, we went down as a family, and we we thought about it for days before we went and purchased it. You know, so it's a whole different world that we live in today. And so, what I teach people is. You can no longer com- compete on commodity. And here's what commodity is. Commodity, if you look up the definition in the business world, commodity is an undifferentiated good or service. And, and so you can no longer live in this undifferentiated good or service world. And so I ask people all the time, why should I hire you? And they say, oh, you should hire me because I have a college degree. And I'll say, hey, listen, watch this. And there's a you know a crowd of 400. How many of people in this room are either going to currently or going to graduate? with a college degree well everybody raises their hand I said you see that's what we call in the biz world we call that an undifferentiated good or service that's a commodity and what I teach people how to do is uh, compete on three very simple ideas
0: let me just say one thing before because I think it fits in with the commodity it's always a race to the bottom yes
1: we're clawing our way there every day
0: (laughs) you know because I think of Amazon and if you put some stuff up there I've sold on Amazon a lot of things and it's a race to the bottom yeah
1: yeah and you know and, and they're not afraid to lose money to make money, and, and so that, that's, that's a real interesting business model of, of, of how they got set up and, and continue to be set up, and I would not want to compete <laughs> with them because they're going to crush anybody that tries to get in that space and compete with them. probably <laughs> uh, but they're very intentional about their business, but here's what I teach people to shift away from commodity and start focusing on unique value. And every one of your listeners have these three things. They have a unique perspective, which is how they see what they do. They have unique education, which is how they know what they do. And that's both formal and informal. And they have unique experiences. And that's how they connect to what they do. And so one of the things that you said to me prior to the interview was you've got some of your audiences who – are saying hey i, I want to try to figure out how to generate 20,000 more dollars a year so that uh, i can improve my quality of life and so the very first exercise that i would take them through is is tell me how you see the world tell me about your perspective because once i understand that then i can start to help put you in a position where you can generate that 20,000 once you tell me about the unique education that you have and it can help you generate that once you tell me about your unique experiences all these things create what I call unique value today so we constantly hear people say you gotta be different you gotta be different you gotta be different but nobody knows what being different is well I took the time it took six months to a year to go through and try to figure it out and being different is about the unique value that you deliver at the end of the day we wake up and compete I don't care what anybody says Mm-hmm. This country is built on competition. It's sad in a lot of ways because, you know, we don't teach people how to cooperate. We teach people how to compete. I mean, I was the guy. I'd say, hey, Ryan, if you'll meet me out in the hallway in fourth period, I'll give you my English homework and you give me your math homework. And I didn't think that was cheating. I thought that was collaboration.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, they didn't like that. But look, my world's my world's no different today. It's mm-hmm. the one thing you have to understand. If you increase The only way you can increase capacity in your life is through partnering with others. The only way you can increase your capacity is partnering through others. And so as these listeners are asking themselves, well, how can I generate that $20,000? Then they have to ask themselves, where can I become part of a team? Where can I become part of a unique ability team where they take the the simple things that I do based on my perspective, education, experience, and connect that to what they're doing that's, that's adding value to other people's lives?
0: And the nice thing about this is if you were on Amazon and you are who you are, there is only one of you, you're unique. Now you're being a capitalist and no one can copy you because there is only one of you and they, they could be a poor reproduction, but they can't be you.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I think it is about once you package up your material then now you've got to take your your material, your ideas, your body of knowledge to market. And so there's six ways that I think your listeners can separate themselves from other people. And it's through knowledge, skill, desire, confidence, likability, networks, and free prize. And the free prize is them. And so let's go through and walk through each one of those. Knowledge is is market-specific knowledge. They've spent X number of years doing something in a very specific space, and they need to be able to package that up and communicate that to other people. So it's market-specific knowledge. Along with that market-specific knowledge comes hard skills, and they've got a set of hard skills, and they don't need 10. They need three. Here are the three hard skills that I learned while I spent 15, 20, 30 years doing X. So that's knowledge and skills. Desire, if they're at that stage of the life, they're either going to, based on their experiences, either going to have more desire, or they're going to say, hey, I've done all this other stuff, and this is the only thing that I desire. So I think that desire is something that you really have to understand where your motivations are coming from
0: to speak of desire for a minute so if someone was a accountant for 40 years okay and but he loved baseball on the side and he really followed it and he knows baseball pretty good but so do a million other people right but he loves baseball now he's retired he needs to make that 20 which way is he going to go
1: you know collins talks about three things in good to great he talks about economic engine he talks about passion he talks about what you can be the best at and so we create our own passion through what we do. So my response to you, if I was coaching that person, here's what I'd say. Let's tell me this, your economic engine. An economic engine simply means what financials do you need in place to be able to live the quality, the quality of life that you want to live? So if they say, well, look, I got all the money in the world. And I'll say, well, listen, let's go down to Allen Stein, and let's go to the Lexington Legends. They're the coolest baseball minor league uh, team in, in, in the United States. And let's introduce mm-hmm. you to Allen because he loves to have folks walking around the ballpark telling everybody how great the legends are, and we'll get you plugged in there. And so I think it's part of those answering those three questions. Is your, where's your economic engine? What can you be the best at? There is a huge difference yes. in the world today between defining what you want to be the best at and what you can be the best at. The reason that I can sit down in front of you in this computer and have this conversation without any notes without any prompting, without any scripts, is because I had two parents that were both in counseling and education. I've listened to more counseling and education conversations Mm
0: -hmm. than any
1: other person in the world. And so I told my mom as a child, I said, look, I want your job one day. All you do is sit around and drink coffee and talk on the phone. You know, little did I know, you know, the complexities and challenges I do now because I've spent my, you know, that was my calling. At least it got started. And In higher education, which is a very complex and and convoluted world. But answering that, what you can be the best at, I think is a critical piece to that. And then passion is this. Passion to me is what you drive two states over to talk about for free. And so if you answer those three questions, then I think that will help you decide between accounting and baseball. If you're asking me, I'm going to tell you that I I have an accountant on staff and I just, or that I hire out and then I, I would just go to the baseball games and drink beer. But that's what I do.
0: All right, what I guess I'm getting at is is that he has some kind of basis for baseball, but is there enough there that he can make a living, that being his passion, that he would drive state two states over to talk about for free. So you know, that that really is his thing, but he knows that his expertise is gonna make him ten times the money out of the gate. Yeah. But down the road is the question. Yeah,
1: and I, and I think you have to look at those three factors about an economic engine, which it can be the best at, and and passion to make that decision. I think that's the filter you use to try to come to the best conclusion. You know, just a shot in the dark here. I've, I'm constantly exposed to different historical figures and, and interesting people. Do you know who Saul Alinsky is? Yes. Okay.
0: Unfortunately. <laughs> I,
1: I agree with that, and that's why I've been studying him. Constantly, because we do not need to move in the direction of a socialist state. But here's what's interesting. Here's what's so interesting to me. I've gone back and I've watched all his videos, and and we need to learn from this. He says something so powerful to me. He said, I define power as the ability to act. Nobody has ever defined power to me in that way. That was so powerful for somebody to define it in that way. And then here's the other thing that I thought was so interesting that he said. He said, you really believe that you wake up every day and you make a choice based on an ideal. He said, if you do, you're absolutely delusional. You make choices based on a set of alternatives that have already been given to you. Now, I'm not here to debate that. I'm not here to say, He's right or wrong. What I'm here to say is that those two statements provided me with such clarity about, you know, something as simple as letting your past holding your future hostage, which that happens to so many people today. Being a struggler in saying that success is for the rich and for the strong, but it's not for me. It's this idea of private victories before public victories. And so I've gone through all these things. I, I can share all these personal stories with you, but I thought that was so interesting is if these, if the folks that are listening today really want to create power for themselves, then stand up and act. It's the power to act. I mean, I thought that was so powerful, the ability to act, so powerful.
0: I spend a couple hours every morning writing, and I was writing on that very subject of acting and Today's really yesterday's gone, so you can't improve on yesterday. you know, can't make any improvements on yesterday, it's already gone. Yeah. <laughs> Which people are trying to do and they're wasting their time thinking about yesterday. Yep. Where the only place you've got a chance is is doing something today and you can't worry about tomorrow, you might not be here. Yeah. So you've got you know those two areas where people spend all their time and it's wasted time, I think. Yeah. I mean it's okay to visualize the future a little bit, that's fine. But if all your time is there and you never do anything now, then what yeah,
1: you know, and I call it being in the moment. And I've always wanted to do public speaking, but but I've always been terrified. Until I went out and just finally, and I don't recommend this, but I just decided the only way I could ever get over public speaking was just to go out totally unprepared and do it.
0: Get out there and jump out of the plane, see what
1: happens. <laughs> so I spoke to about four hundred people. Oh, parachute opens. Yeah. And have you ever done any kind of public speaking before?
0: Yes, and I, I do get terrified of it, but I force myself yeah. um, to do these things. Well, I,
1: and see, I don't anymore. And, and let me tell you, what's t- the one thing that's changed for me? And it's mindset. You see, I used to sit there before I spoke, and I would say, "Can I pull the fire alarm? Can I crawl underneath the table? Can Can I run out the back door? Can I fake injury? Can I do something?" so that I won't have to speak. And then I'll say, and here he is, Dr. Colby Jibbenville. And I got up there in the first time, and, it, and I thought it was awful. And the reason I ask you if, if you've ever spoken before publicly is, you know that feeling where, where it's almost like a panic attack. You can feel the whole world just coming straight through your skull. And so now, that happened to me originally, but now, and it goes back to this idea of the power to act. Before I get up to do anything, here's what I tell myself. These people have no idea what's about to be unleashed on them. When I'm done, they are going to be transformed. They are going to feel so alive. They are going to be in the moment that they are going to walk away and say, you remind me so much of my brother, my aunt, my sister, somebody. That is the goal for me. And you know what? Nine out of ten times when I go out and speak, that's exactly what happens. And so it, it's about mindset, you know. It's,
0: so you do get what you expect. Yeah. Oh,
1: gosh, yes, yes, yes. There's no doubt about that. People will live right up to the expectations that you that you set for them. There's a great quote out there that says, what you allow is what you encourage.
0: <laughs> oh, a friend of mine, when he gets up to speak, he says, I get up there and I say, I lo-, in his mind, he doesn't say it out loud. He says, I love all of you. Yeah. I love one of you. <laughs> yeah. And what I have is going to change your life. He's thinking this in his mind. Yep. And you're going to love what I have to say. So it's somewhat similar to what your approach is.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think you, and I mean, I even take it one step further because then the competitor starts coming out and you old know, football player. And, you know, I said, I'm going to find one because there's always one in the room that they're going to discount you. They're going to make sure that they let you know that they don't believe anything that you're saying. They're going to roll their eyes. They're going to him and haul, and, I mean, all I do is I bring them right into the centerpiece of the story, and I make them love me.
0: And that's what he does. A friend of mine, he says, I'll go over and I'll stand right at their chair. I know this guy hasn't been listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I pick on
1: him. I go back to the friend, the Chicago shakedown, Saul Alinsky, the power to act.
0: Well, now keep in mind the choices thing. I, I agree with you, Saul Lewinsky, to a point there, that it is the choices that are presented to you. I mean, you know, you had a choice to believe in God, whether you were going to or not. You you had lots of good choices there, too. It wasn't like, you know, there was choices that were forced on you. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I just think that that's if you look at his background, he, you know, he talks about rules for radicals, and, and this whole thing is about creating movements, and I think that's what the world desperately needs today, is I think it desperately needs a movement that goes back to really almost the founding fathers of this country and what makes this country great. I mean, I know that's a a different topic for a different conversation, but but I was fascinated with his philosophies and approach to how you create movements. I think there's a lot to be learned because those similar movements need need to be taking place in America today. There's no doubt about that.
0: Yeah, as long as it's in the right direction.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, like we, as we know Hitler direction and some of the other directions. But you know what? There's even probably a lot to learn studying the devil and Satan in his ways. I mean, he's got some good angles.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I had a long conversation because I think that for those of us that choose to believe, and I do, I had a long conversation with a good friend of mine, Same here. And, and he said, you know, he said the devil – you know his arrows they're not sharp and fast he said you know they're slow and they just little by little they widen that gap and i mean i think if you look at our lives and and the challenges that we create for ourselves in our lives i think that that's certainly the case so just constantly sitting there whispering in your ear and and trying to bring you down a path that that's not productive or that's not that's not righteous or that's not what should be so
0: something that came to me this morning was i i realized that failure if it's correcting your course it really isn't failure. Failure when it helps correct your course was actually a success. Now of course if you keep repeating the same failure, then it really was a failure.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well and I love what Jim Jim Rohn said the best to me. He says the same wind blows on all of us. It's the wind of failure, it's the wind of success, it's the wind of opportunity, mm-hmm. it's the wind of change. And he says yep. it's not the blowing of the wind, it's the set of the sail.
0: Wind is just wind. Yep. <laughs> yeah,
1: he says you set your sail through two ways, correcting the errors of your past and setting new disciplines for the future. And when I heard that, I wrote that on my whiteboard. I have a, a whiteboard that's as big as uh, a side of my garage, and I write down all of my projects and ideas, and it really helps me stay organized. And, and uh, I'm a list person as well. I like to, you know, I get that from my dad, right? Here's the here's the, here's the card. When you get these things done, let me know. He, you know, today he pretends like these things didn't, didn't happen, but I think deep down he knows. And to make it even better, let me just say this for the record, because I think it's such a – a powerful testimony because we had our moments. His name's Wayne Williams, and he married my mom when I was one, and he stepped in. And still to this day, I don't know if I live up to what it means to be a great father because he was just fantastic in every aspect to deal with uh, a child like me. And the challenges that I came with, you know, uh, having being a part of a divorced family and and going through that transition and and all the challenges that came along with it, the guy's just a master at relationships and, and building and developing people. And still today, he is the first person when I have something that I'm struggling with that I'll call. And you know, his philosophy's still the same. He, he doesn't try to provide me a solution. You know, one of the things that I think is so powerful is. So I'm I'm the middle child. If you couldn't guess by our conversation, you know, my My older brother did it first, and my younger brother did it better. And so I was always stuck in the middle of trying to be an overachiever. And so we still have our moments, my brothers and myself. And so I'll call him, and we'll talk about that. And he said, well, let me ask you a question. He goes, do you think Brady's still Brady? (laughs) And I said, yeah, pretty much. He's still the same person he was when we were kids. He goes, you think Zach's still Zach? And I said, yeah, (laughs) pretty much. He goes, well, why the hell do you think Colby's still not Colby (laughs) And I just think, you know, that's such a great point. It, if you look back at what I was and, thir- you know, the way that I acted at 13 and, and 18 and, and 20 or whatever, the core is still the same, and you've got to be able to tap into those things and understand it as you move through these different stages of life. So just a, a thought there to throw out and, and share with your audience. Well,
0: this list thing has really uh, got me going, your dad's list, because it made me think of in life there's two lists. It's either going to be your list. Or someone else's list.
1: That's, that's damn good. That, that's, that's, a, that's a blog or a book right there. I like that.
0: So make up your mind.
1: That's right. I may steal that from you, Ken, if
0: you don't mind. Go oh, ahead. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Just back to our listeners now. They're thinking, okay, how am I going to start making money tomorrow yeah. from what well, Kobe said? Here's
1: what I'd say, and I talk about this in my book, Zebras and Cheetahs. Number one, this is a real simple process. It starts with a dominant focus a dominant focus, and that's one sentence. So for me, let me tell you what my dominant focus is. It's to coach and teach on an ever-increasing stage. So to have the opportunity for you to reach out to me and be on your podcast fits totally 100% my dominant focus because now I just got exposed to thousands of people that are part of your tribe that are interested in the kinds of things that you and I are talking about. So it starts with dominant focus. The second question that I ask people every day that I work with and coach Do you know the highest value of your time? Do you know the highest value of your time? And if they can't answer that, then here's what I'll say. It's tied directly to your dominant focus. So that's step two. Then here's step three. Can you do three things a day, five a week, 60 a month, towards the dominant focus in your life? Can you do three things a day, five a week, 60 a month, dominant focus in your life? You see, if you get the dominant focus... Then you understand what the highest value of your time is. And then you don't let anybody mess with that. You you protect your time. And then you do three things a day, five a week, 60 a month. There's no way in the world that you can't accomplish whatever it is that you want to accomplish. Twenty more thousand dollars, being part of um, some kind of change in America, reconnecting with uh, people that you knew from your past. Whatever it is that you want to do, that's how I go out and set to do it.
0: And just to to figure out that dominant focus. We do what again? I, I know you've gone through it. but
1: Well, the dominant focus, I think, it goes back to, for me, it was the one thing that I really wanted to accomplish. For your listeners, it may be more short term. It may be based on the things that you and I had talked about. Maybe it is that $20,000 extra a year. Maybe it is being part of a team and adding value to other people. Maybe it is that, that you're bored and you've retired and you've got all this money and you want to do something meaningful with it. I mean, Rockefeller said what? He said, I want to spend the first half of my life making money. I want to spend the second half giving it away. So mm-hmm. if you've got a group that, that does that, then the very first thing that I, say, I would say is, what's your dominant focus? What's the one thing more than anything that matters to you? And what mattered to me when I was a kid and still matters to me today is to coach and teach people on an ever increasing stage. Every decision that I make is based on that one dominant focus.
0: So you don't allow people to to say, uh, "Oh, gee, there's a new a great business over here," or "He's a great business over here," which is going to take away from you being a coach and teaching. That's right. That's right. Well,
1: and I'll say, "Hey, that's a great business. That's fine. Who needs to be coached or taught over there? Coached or taught over there." Because that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to coach these okay. people.
0: So what you do could be applied to anything, yeah. but you want to do it from that focus. Yeah. Dominant focus. <laughs> yeah,
1: the dominant focus. And that's that's straight out of the zebras and cheetahs model. And, and, and my book can be found at zebrasandcheetahs.com. So, in fact, why don't you have a listener email you when this plays? And mm-hmm. however you want to do the contest... I'll send you a book, and you can send it out to the – I'll send them a book. Send me the address, and I'll send it out to the listener.
0: Okay. Contest for a book. Let me figure out how to do that. <laughs> okay. yeah, say, I'm sure we'll, come well up with that we'll
1: Just throw out your email right now and just say, whoever writes in first what their dominant focus is to Ken, and Ken gets it first and likes it, I'll, we'll send them a book. How about that?
0: Perfect. Perfect. That's good. Okay, and let's get your other contact information in here now that we're on that, just so we have it. I'm going to put it in the show notes, but people who don't ever go to my website won't see it. So, give us—is uh, uh, there any other contact method we should use that they should use to get a hold of
1: you? Yes, my Twitter is at Dr. Jubenville at Dr. Jubenville. I'm on Facebook if you want to join the Backyard Patio, and uh, it's Dr. Jubenville there as well. D R J U B E N V I L L E. V-I-L-L-E. My business is RedHeringInc.com, R-E-D-H-E-R-R-I-N-G, Inc, in com. You know, welcome any kind of feedback and, and certainly would be happy to connect with your listeners and help any way I can.
0: All right, super. Okay, we've got this person that's decided what his dominant focus is. Yep. So it's he's decided that the, the baseball is going to be it. He's going to forget about accounting. So. Uh, how would you recommend he moves forward? Now, he knows that's what it's going to be, and he has a few dollars behind him to, to live for six months until it gets off the ground, let's say. Yeah. What would you recommend well, he do?
1: Here, here's one of the things that I always teach people is uh, the only way you can truly articulate your values is through face-to-face interaction. So it, it may be a phone call at first, but uh, it's not an email. It may be initially, but at some point you've got to get face-to-face with those folks, and you've got to... Um, You've got to show them how you can add immediate value to them. See, listen, here's the concept you got to understand. If they're looking at wanting to work for other people, if they're looking Mm -hmm. to generate income, companies want to know two things. Can you make me money? Can you save me money? You do that in one of four ways. Sell something, create something, solve a problem, or add immediate value. So if those people are sitting there today saying, hey, I want to I want to generate more income for myself, identify the company that they want to work with, understand how they make money, understand how they save money based on your unique perspective, education, and experience, how can you help them do one of those two, do the four things that we said? Sell something, solve a problem, create something, add immediate value to them.
0: So like you said, in this case, you could go to all the local baseball outfits again I don't follow baseball but you know the the different clubs and meet them face to face and find out what problems they're having that you may be able to help them with
1: yeah okay so here here, we'll walk through it and we'll use your analogy hey Bill my name is Rick I spent the last 35 years as accountant I retired from accounting and really what I'm interested in doing is just being a part of the community and to me as uh, Barzon once said to really know and understand and appreciate America, you first must know and understand and appreciate the game of baseball. I'd like to be an ambassador for the team and would like us to do that here by being an usher. How does that work? And then maybe if you do need some help in the accounting, I've still, I've still got my background in that. Maybe we could uh, look at maybe using that department as well. Well Let's go have a cup of coffee and talk about it. That that's how to me that game is played out.
0: Nice. So do a double whammy here. <laughs> okay. So you you can use what you really have done all your life along with your passion. Absolutely. Hit them with both barrels. Okay.
1: There you go. Hit them with everything you got.
0: <laughs> everything with everything you got, okay. So it sounds like you really, and again, everyone has a different way of doing it, but it sounds like you really like that face-to-face method as opposed to someone might say, okay, I'm going to go on uh, LinkedIn and and get my name all over there, or that's something you do along
1: with it. I think you can do that, but I think the only way you're going to really close the deal is face-to-face. Every deal that I've ever closed, you've got to get and shake their hand, and they got to get in a boat with them.
0: All right. So that face-to-face is uh, critical. Okay. So let's say you start hooking up with them, and, and uh, you, you learn everything about that particular baseball group. Would be some of the avenues that maybe you could try to make money from that knowledge now that you're picking up?
1: Well, I mean, I think that if you're somebody that's retired and And got a background in a specific area. I think it's just what we we said. You, You communicate to them the specific market knowledge that you have, but you also say what general roles do you need to be filled by people that have plenty of free time to fill it. And so I think you come in and play a role player in both areas.
0: So, you're saying that a lot of times, especially if you're going to go into some sports situation, they're going to be totally open to a volunteer. That's going to get you in the door. If you go there and say you want to make money, that'll probably close the
1: door. Yeah, you're there to help them make money and save money.
0: Yep. Rather than
1: you make money. <laughs> well, you will. I mean, you know, it's it, just, I, just a matter of, of getting in at the right time with the right opportunity.
0: But again, like you say, if you go to enough doors, there's going to be an opportunity somewhere.
1: Oh, I'm knocking on those doors every day. You better believe it. If, if you're not pitching, you're not closing. You're not
0: pitching that close and good. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been fantastic. Uh, do you have any last few minutes of recommendation for no, the folks? Yeah,
1: Here, here's what I'd say. You know, I think all of us are interested in, in legacy and meaning. Mm-hmm. I think people universally want four things. They want opportunities to learn, a chance to grow in responsibility, contribute to others, and be recognized. And And for those people – that are in the later stages of of life, then I think you need to take a look back because at the end of the day, we've all done something meaningful. And I think it's really important for us to find what's meaningful in our life and make sure that we keep that front and center. You know, um, there's a lot of great definitions out there about success. Uh, I've heard that success is picking yourself up off the ground just one more time. I've heard success is Uh, The continued expansion of happiness, I've heard success is uh, the setting and achieving of worthy goals, worthy ideals. But to me, the greatest definition of success comes from a guy named Thoreau. And I want everybody that listens to this podcast to think about their own life and their own success because you've had it and you can find it again at any stage of life. And we've all been here. But here's what he said success is. He said it's to advance confidently in the direction of your own dream. And to endeavor to live a life that only you can imagine, that you will find uncommon success in common hour. And so what I would challenge your audience to do is to advance confidently, to advance confidently in the direction of your own dream, to endeavor to live a life that only you can imagine, where you can find uncommon success in common hour. And no matter what stage you're in, no matter what stage of life you're in, I think we all have the ability to do that, but we just got to dig down deep and focus on that perspective, education, and experience to get there. And how long ago did he say that? Oh, gosh. Now, you put me on the spot. Uh, Way before I was born. How about that? (laughs) And you, too.
0: (laughs) So truth doesn't change.
1: No. Gosh, no. In fact, I'm glad you said that. A good friend of mine, and I'll send it to him. I'll mention him. He's one of my my dear friends, John Byers. And And you need people, always. You need people that will advocate for you. And know you better than anybody. And John is somebody that I met through a networking group, and has been more valuable to me in terms of out talking about how unique I am, the things that I'm, the things that make me different. And he sent me this book. It's called Seven Men and the Secrets of Their Greatness. And here's the quote. Well, here's what he said. I love to read it to your audience because he's a special yeah. friend to me. He said, "Kobe, you have quickly become one of the most influential men in my life." And this book is appropriate for your importance to me. Thank you for your kindness, coaching, and friendship. Glad to be in your boat. Can you see that he's already drinking my Kool-Aid? He's, he's using my boat analogy. And so mm-hmm. here's the quote that he says, and I'll leave it with you. We'll end here with the audience. Any man who develops the power to perceive truth and, he, and who can show that he always knows the right thing to do and that he can be trusted to do the right thing will be honored and advanced. The whole world is looking eagerly for such men wallace waddles and it's from the science of being great
0: yeah someone revived that book uh, recently and redid it yeah so that's why
1: i'm going to leave it with you my friend and and uh
0: well that is this has been a very encouraging colby and uh, and fun
1: <laughs> yeah yeah hey and look if you if you want to do a follow up i'm happy to do it if you get some good feedback you know i tell people all the time we, we don't get this anymore. I had an old coach. We lost a football game. He got the whole team together. He said, boys, y'all know why we lost the game today? He said, because Colby Jubenville don't know how to play defensive tackle. <laughs> <laughs> he said, so you see him telling, Colby, you lost us the game. Well, I'm sitting right there in front of 80 other guys. Well, he had a special love for you. Yeah, here, here's the point. Tommy Ranniger, I love him. Guy, he, he's he's passed away. You never think those folks will die on you, but damn if they do. And here's the point: feedback is where you learn the most. So if if you're not getting feedback in your life, ultra successful, wildly successful people crave it. The minute that I give a speech, I want to know: did you like it? What could I do better? So you know, feedback's where we learn the most. And if they're not getting that right now in that loop, they need to get that as part of their process to get to where they want to go.
0: Well, I look forward to interviewing you in the near future again.
1: (laughs) I'm here for you. Thanks, Ken. Thank you to your audience. Thank you, Cole. All right. All
0: right. right. Okay. Thank you for listening to Income for Baby Boomers with your host, Ken Queen. Helping boomers like you get a business started you can run from your own home. We interview owners of both online and offline businesses, but most importantly, ones that are run by baby boomers. Stay tuned next week for new and exciting businesses that you can start from your home. Until next time, have a profitable and blessed week.